The Psychedologist. Wake up. Wake up. Time to get up. For Psychedelic Summer School, welcome back, everyone. Week five. You may recognize our guest from this week. He also appeared on week two. His name is Jake, and he's going to be talking with us about harm reduction. What does that mean? Some major points are about how to educate and increase awareness so that we reduce harm because people are ultimately going to do things anyway. So the way of least pain and harm usually is to provide people with information about what they're planning to do rather than telling them that is dangerous and you should stop. We go into knowing your substance, knowing your dose, testing, doing research, knowing about expectations, what to expect, what side effects might come up. We talk about risks with fentanyl, Narcan, Good Samaritan laws, and the recovery position, as well as the acronym ALGE. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Jake's here to talk with us about harm reduction. And you might remember Jake from our previous episode in week two of Psychedelic Summer School, What's Going On in My Head. This week, we have Jake back to talk about harm reduction. So what does that you're a harm reductionist. That's what your bio says. What does that mean? So it's it can either be, um, you know, an identity that someone takes on. There are people out there who are just volunteers, you know, they're just they could be someone who uses a substance um, that is trying to help somebody else who uses the substance or their community, or the way I use it is as a healthcare worker, as a paramedic, addictions, mental health worker that I'm going into now, um, I advocate for harm reduction in any way possible. So whether it's seatbelts in cars or road signs on a highway to keep the speed limit down or drug testing and safe injection sites, you know, I'm all across the spectrum of harm reduction. Just as if somebody is pre-diabetic, I might ask them, to take a look at their diet and maybe watch their sugar intake, um, I'm very happy to tell somebody who's using cannabis how to use it safely. So with harm reduction, it's across the board that people are getting the most um, efficient use out of their substance or way of life, but not harming themselves or others in the process. And what does harm reduction have to say about preaching abstinence only for things? Well, unfortunately, with that, we can't really get away from things. Um, For example, we're high on serotonin right now, um, which is just the reality molecule. That means you're happy. (laughs) If you have low serotonin, you're depressed. If you have too much serotonin, you hallucinate. So serotonin itself is a drug that we need to moderate. Um, I've seen patients who've been given antidepressants who've overdosed on them um, by mistake, and they're in excited serotonin syndrome which is a dangerous syndrome, and but we're on serotonin all the time. So the harm reduction is keeping it in that nice level. When using cannabis, you know, um, people who have lung issues, make them vaporize. You know, if somebody has anxiety, use an indica. Um, don't use THC when you're going to be on a job that requires a lot of focus. Maybe use a CBD. If you're using needles, make sure you're changing out your needles. You're using clean needles. You're not sharing and that you're not trying to shoot up into a central line, like a jugular vein or something like that. But why don't we just tell people not to use drugs? Oh, because you know what? That would just be too simple. No, (laughs) basically, (laughs) well, we use coffee. uh, We use nicotine. uh, We use morphine. We used a lot of Percocets. That's the funny part. You can't get away from drugs, no matter what, no matter who you are. If you break your hip, 
you break your foot in the ambulance, we're going to give you heroin in the form of morphine. So people forget that morphine, dilated, Percocet, Oxycontin, all these drugs are heroin. Dicetyl morphine is dicetyl morphine. That's the chemical name for heroin. So we have to use these drugs in moderation because if you are going through surgery, and if I opened your chest up and broke your ribs and cut into your heart while you were awake, oh my fuck, that would be terrible. And sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. <laughs> You're allowed to swear. Well, it's actually psychedelic summer school, so we'll have to take that into consideration. Oh, I will definitely watch that. That was my uh, <laughs> prefrontal cortex not operating properly. All right. So, <laughs> so yes, if I were to cut into you to open up your leg to take out a bad knee uh, and replace it, and you were awake, that would be terrifying. So giving you fentanyl for surgery to put you to sleep and shut off your breathing is a good thing. But if you're taking that same fentanyl in an alleyway, thinking it's heroin, and then you stop breathing, that's no good because you will die. So the idea is that we can't just say no to drugs. People are going to need to take things like antidepressants. Um, there's clinical depression out there. People need anti-anxiety pills sometimes because there's clinical anxiety and PTSD. Sleeping pills. Some people have sleep disorders. And if you don't sleep, you'll have health problems and die. Cholesterol drugs. You can have a heart attack. Some people have high blood pressure. Sugar is even a drug, right? So there is no escaping drugs. So the best way to do it is you find the research. You figure out how much of this substance is safe and is it right for me in the first place? Um, I don't know about you, but when I eat sugar, I swell up. I feel like crap. I, my stomach hurts. I've had to basically quit it. <laughs> And I was addicted to sugar most of my life. Like, you've grown up eating cereal and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like eating candy, drinking fruit juices. And since I've stopped, now when I eat it, I feel like crap. So for me, sugar is not my substance. Cocaine would not be my substance. I like coffee. Coffee works great for me. But guess what? If I drink too much coffee, I can rot out my stomach and have a bleeding ulcer. You know, um, you can have a heart problem from too much coffee. So harm reduction is you just drink a certain amount of coffee each day, you know, so that's part of what harm reduction is. You can't just stay away from drugs and be absent all the time. Um, you could, absolutely, but not everybody is fortunate enough not to suffer from a mental or physical illness that doesn't require something. So hopefully that makes a bit more sense. <laughs> it does. And I think that like, you mentioned a lot of different legally available drugs. And in the case of psychedelics, I think that another reason it doesn't work to preach abstinence only is because people are going to continue altering their consciousness. They always have. We see children altering their consciousness. And right, we're already legally altering it in many ways. So when it comes to substances that are illegal, taking an abstinence only approach denies people the proper education to safely make those choices that they're going to make, whether it's legal or not. So it's kind of like saying, you know, don't have sex. That's how you don't get pregnant. Well, a lot more people get pregnant from that kind of education than this is how a condom works and this is how STDs work. Well, here's the best part. Look at cannabis already. In states where it became legalized, teen use dropped a third. And that's not from it not being available to them. They could still buy it from a dealer. They're just telling these kids, wait till you're in your 20s. You'll wait until you're in your 20s. You can smoke pot and have fun. But oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. when you're 16, it actually hurts the brain development. Uh-oh. So wait till you're in your 20s. So when you tell a child, oh, it's all bad, but then they, they have a role model like, say, Joe Rogan or somebody who's got their life together really well and they're smoking pot. It makes the kid confused, right? 
how come the doctor smokes pot, mommy, but I can't? <laughs> well, <laughs> because the doctor's old enough that the brain's developed, they have their life together, they can smoke pot whenever they want, and they can do it responsibly. But you, little Timmy, your brain's not developed yet. So when you smoke pot, it inhibits blood flow to those areas. So these little things have shown kids that they can be empowered. Um, drinking. How many times do your parents drink around the dinner table, right? And you do want your six-year-old to, to associate like drinking with being comfortable or do you want them to associate it with just celebrating? I think celebrating, right? So um, it's always hard with legal substances because people are going to feel less of a stigma. See, stigma with psychedelics, it's easy. Oh, you don't take mushrooms. Those, that'll make your brain bleed. You know, the myths are out there, although that's completely false. Um, so the best thing to remember is to do your research. And yeah, spiritual um, freedom is another big thing. So if somebody, you tell someone you can't explore your mind um, or you can't practice a religious right that's been around for 40,000 years, well, that's not very good either. So harm reduction, just like in baptisms, isn't drowning somebody kind of dangerous? <laughs> oh, wait, in a baptism, they just dunk you slow, quickly under the water. Yeah. Okay. We know that you can survive up to a minute without breathing. So if they quickly do it for a second, that's harm reduction. Whereas if they hold your head underwater for five minutes, you will die. So yeah, wow. harm reduction. <laughs> well, but if you take LSD 10 times, you're clinically insane, right? Oh yeah, that that's that's oh I'm sure there's a hundred studies confirming that, right? <laughs> but that's the funny part. It's that we there's um a lot of these misconceptions, but then we have a legal drug that we know harms us when it's overly consumed, and people have no reason to say no to it. My my a uh, family member of mine, um specifically was asking me about muscle relaxants and alcohol. Like, oh, I'm on these muscle relaxants for a torn muscle, so it's a good reason to be on it. Um, but, ah, uh, you know, I want to go out drinking tonight. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't cause harm reduction states that you you're on a very powerful muscle relaxant, the type that they're on and mixing alcohol with that could actually harm your breathing. Um, but the d problem is that they look, Oh, Jake, you know what? The doctor wouldn't put me on it if it was going to be that dangerous. <laughs> okay. But they will, because sometimes they expect you to follow commands. They think you're not going to drink. But our society promotes this, this like pushing through and just taking pills and drinking, right? So when people are mixing these things, it gets a lot harder. So would you say then that harm reduction is not so much about just say no, N-O, it's more about just say no, K-N-O-W, know what you're taking, know how much, where it is, how it'll affect you and know like maybe why you're taking it. I love that saying. I know that's been a really good poster going around and, and a banner I've seen in some people's pictures, which is great. It's um, Timothy so yeah, Leary. That's exactly where it came from. Perfect. Thank you. I always wondered. I knew it was somebody big up there. <laughs> um, but what I like the most about that is the research is available now. We have the internet. We have scientists that are studying this. Like We have maps, right? Where they're literally sitting down with these substances and systematically going, all right, what's going on in the brain? What dose is too much? Hey, this is one dose we found that actually heals something. And that's why we're getting this better knowledge. You can go on Arrowid. It's a great website. You can buy drug testing kits. You can talk to professionals now like paramedics and nurses and doctors who actually have more knowledge on it. Um, so I think the best thing you can do is, is keep up with the new uh, research. You know, when they find out that, um, uh, MDMA in the plant form is a lot different than when it's mixed with speed and stuff. That's very valuable information to know. Um, and that taking LSD 
could be very useful in a therapeutic setting. But if you take a huge dose in public, you could end up, you know, causing a lot of um, trauma to yourself. If police have to chase you, you know, having all those things in your mind can just help people know to stay away from uh, dangerous behavior. <laughs> you just put an image in my head of someone on LSD running from the police. And it was, I have to say, it was a little bit funny. <laughs> well, I've uh, I've been called to that as a paramedic a few times because when they think someone's on a substance, they call an ambulance. So it's usually uh, like a rodeo. We're just trying to chase the person and it's not good, right? So it can scare them and traumatize them. So that's the other thing to avoid ambulance calls. Know your substance, know the source and know the dose. So if you're going to take LSD, you better know which dose you're going to expect to feel the desired effects. So you mentioned about 100 to 200 micrograms, and that is a good, like, what would be equivalent to one or two grams of mushrooms, I guess, right? Kind of yeah. Like a, and then when you get to 500 micrograms, that's where you're getting the big blast off type of effect. Right, right. So what should you do if you're out and about or out in a boot, as you might say, <laughs> and you encounter someone on a high dose of a psychedelic? Well, um, this is one of those things that it's tricky for a lot of people. Um, first thing I'd say is, if possible, um, having a mental health first aid course, um, if it's available in your area. Um, I'm not sure how many, what company would do it in the States, but you can always do a Google search and type in mental health first aid and find one of those courses. Uh, they arm you with a very simple tool. It's called ALGE. So A-L-G-E-E. -E. And what that stands for is assess for risk and harm. So your first stage, anytime you're talking to somebody who's having a psychological crisis, especially on a psychedelic, is are they in danger of harming themselves or others? And it doesn't mean they're going to like try to kill themselves. I just mean, are they in front of traffic? Are they on a bridge? Are they, um, you know, out in the snow in a blowing blizzard, right? Or like overheating or dehydrated. Yes. So keep your eyes out for things like that. If someone's overheating and they're throwing up, um, and getting confused, that might be heat stroke. So yeah, you're looking for all these things. Um, and then uh, if there's no risk for themselves or others, you can start listening to them to figure out what's going on. So tell me how you're feeling. Hey, what are you doing over here? How's your night going? You know, getting those open-ended questions to get them to start talking. Then they're going to start to tell you how they're feeling or whatever it is they want to tell you. Everyone's different. And you're just going to listen non-judgmentally. So give them your ear, empathetic, not sympathetic. And as we said before in our last conversation, you don't want to be painting silver linings or trying to direct them in their thought process. Just listen and highlight certain words that you feel are important um, that stand out to you um, and, and let them and repeat back to them. Um, you never want to try and put information in their head. And then give them reassurance if it's a difficult experience. Maybe they're telling you something beautiful, that they just had a perfect epiphany and they, they, they feel at one with nature. It, great. Let them express that. Don't make them repress it. Just let them have it uh, come out like a nice, beautiful flow. Um, and then you can give that reassurance if it becomes difficult. So maybe they're saying they're not happy with how they feel. They feel terrified. They're paranoid. They feel suicidal or depressed. All you're going to do in those situations is you're going to bring down your energy, be calm, comforting, supportive, talk almost like this, like almost as if you're breathing with your voice. I find just keeping it rhythmic and not too jarring. You want to be firm, but you're being very calm and comforting at the same time. And be direct, make eye contact, but don't be aggressive with it. Keep your body language nice and relaxed. Um, don't stand directly in front across from them. 
I like to stand off to the side. It just shows you're on their side. I know it sounds really cheesy, but <laughs> no, like you're literally like you're you're in their corner type of thing. Um, if they allow you to to rub their arm or rub their back, comforting touch is always helpful for grounding. And then once they feel comfortable enough to actually start talking to you, once again, listen non-judgmentally, give that reassurance and provide information. Yes, you're on a drug. Find out what they're on. Oh, you're on mushrooms. Okay, well, that's okay. It's just shutting down your ego. Um, you know, that's fine to have these thoughts. They're scary. It's going to pass. You're, um, just let me know how you're feeling. LSD is a similar idea, right? Um, and just give them that information and then encourage support. So if they're saying like what they're feeling is so terrifying, they can't handle it. You can bring them to another friend, um, a, a harm reductionist. If you're at a festival, bring them to that actual trip sitting tent um, and just talk them through it and let them kind of guide their own experience. And then later, if days later or the next day they feel really distressed and it's not going away, then getting getting them to go to see a counselor is actually not a bad idea. Um, in Canada, it's covered by healthcare. I'm not sure how it is in the states, um, but seeing a counselor um, when you're having a difficult experience, like the next few days, can be helpful as long as they're open to what you're doing, right? Yeah, um, and people can look for therapists who are savvy with matters of psychedelics and altered consciousness through a few different integration resources that I'll put at the end of this episode. Oh, great. See, that's a lot of people ask me. I know it's more heavy in the States, um, but hopefully in Canada, there'll be more of it. But yeah, even just going to a counselor and not telling them that you took a psychedelic, you can just say, you just tell them your thoughts, right? And they can uh, help you integrate that way. But the best way is reaching out to a community too. Like having, like we have the Toronto Psychedelic Community, there's the Boston Entheogenic Society, there's all these different ones that you can get involved with and just reach out to people who have experience. Hey, you know, I have these distressing thoughts, it's a few days later, I feel funny in my chest, like I feel anxious, um, I have trouble sleeping, and just talk with others who are understanding. Um, because it chances are you just have a problem that's come up that you need to reprocess, and it'll just take some time. Um, yeah. So we had A, it was algae, right? Yeah. So A is assess for risk and danger. Um, L is then you're listening non-judgmentally. Um, then G, you're giving reassurance and information about the situation. Okay, here's how much they took. We understand that. Then moving on to E is encouraging other supports. So like friends, family, a Zendo tent. And then the final one would be another E. And that's encouraging appropriate further help. So say maybe they're in acute crisis. They're there. You can't control them. They're running around in a downtown core area in front of traffic. Um, they're saying they're going to go and hurt themselves or they're going to hurt somebody else. Then you will call 911 at that point. There is a point that you will go, okay, 911 call. And in some areas, they have a mobile crisis unit that 911 will send a nurse with police and the nurse will be a mental health nurse. Kind of like you're saying that I went, hey, I want to get out in the field and not just be stuck. <laughs> I want to be able to talk to people. <laughs> well, that nurse, people like who have your personality for it, will come around and want to work in the mobile crisis field and they'll respond to these calls. Um, but yes, so those cases, you call 911 if someone's unsafe. But as long as you can contain them or, or keep them calm, they can always seek support later, you know, if the distress doesn't go away. Cool. And then you talked about some really cool laws in Canada protecting people who make 911 calls. And I looked into what we have in the U.S. as well. So can you talk about that? It, it's called Good Samaritan 911 in the U.S. Do you guys have another name for it? 
yeah, we just call it the Good Samaritan Act, um, which is, yeah, it, it's really simple here too. Um, there's five basic rules and then kind of the sixth bonus one that you're referring to. So it's first is consent. You know, in Canada, you get consent from somebody, you can help them. So, hey, I'm a first aider. Can I help you? But be direct with what you are. If you're not trained in first aid, you say, hi, I'm, can I help you? <laughs> right. So there's that consent. There's don't abandon the person when you start to help them. So if you've called 911 for somebody, don't go running away because you're late for work. You have to stay and hang out with them. Or then, because you have like substances, right? Ah, so that's the newest law is that if you have a substance on you in Canada, the Good Samaritan Act protects you if you're calling for an overdose. So your friend just took some coke and it's lace of fentanyl. So they drop on the ground. They're not breathing. You call 911. You've had to help them. Paramedics show up. The police show up. They are not going to search you and take and put you in jail because you saved your friend's life. So that's big. That's a big new thing here. Um, I'm not sure how it is in the States. How does that work there? Well, that was also what I read. And I would, you, I think, said something to me earlier about like, if you do have something, maybe just go throw it over the fence. Yeah. Yep. Give it a little toss. You know, you don't, is is that gram of Coke or gram of MDMA a big of a deal? Maybe not, right? For If you're in a place where they're really strong on the laws. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So the reading from Drug Policy Alliance's website, it says um, 20 states and the District of Columbia have enacted policies to provide limited immunity from arrest or prosecution for minor drug law violations for people who someone help at the scene of an overdose. And that is New Mexico, Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, and Wisconsin. But Good Samaritan laws do not protect people from arrest for other offenses like selling or trafficking drugs or driving while drugged. These policies protect only the caller and overdose victim from arrest and or prosecution for simple drug possession, possession of paraphernalia, and or being under the influence. And so someone in a, I had like created a thread to find out more about this. Someone said about how in Illinois, um, if say you and your friend had decided to take a substance together and say you bought it, you brought it, and so you provided it, then the protect the Good Samaritan doesn't apply to you because you can be charged with providing somebody with a substance and if something happened to them. Wow, so that's it gets very gray there for people. And I can see why so many people are terrified and they just panic and don't do anything or they call and run away, right? Like these things happen. Um, but I think the best course of action is it's life over limb at this point. That's why drug testing is number one. So Obviously, with mushrooms, cannabis, you're going to be okay. You don't have to test that with a dripper or anything. But if you're going to be doing anything that's a powder, you know, even LSD, you know, all you need is a little, little, little tiny crumb, you know, a little pinch of the drug. You're not wasting any of your dose. And use these droppers. There's the Regent test kits. I'm not sure which ones are available uh, internationally, but there's all these ones you can get online. Um, and if you're going to use a substance that's not just a mushroom or cannabis, then just test it. Um, and you'll at least know then. And then if something happens, you'll, uh, you'll know exactly what you're working with. So maybe you test it and use no fentanyl, but you miss that there's speed in it. Okay. Well, at least, you know, there's no fentanyl <laughs> and that's going to be the quicker killer with speed. They might just have bad reaction. They might be a little more nervous. 
Um, which kind of brings me into the next part is Narcan. Do you guys in the States, do you have like a good Samaritan law where everyone's allowed to have Narcan? Is that a question? Yes. Like the naloxone or the Narcan. I believe that everyone's allowed to have it as far as I know. And they're all allowed to administer it, right? <sighs> I don't know. I didn't find out about that. Tell us how it is in Canada and I'll try to look it up. Yeah. In Canada, it's um, you're actually anyone who has a health card in Canada who has coverage is allowed to go to the pharmacy and for free pick up either the spray or the needle injection, which is intramuscular. It's not an IV. You don't go into someone's vein with it, <laughs> but the nasals are a lot user friendly. So it's just a quick, you put it up their nose, you push down the plunger and it sprays the dose up their nose completely. It's just 0.4 milligrams and perfect. That should reverse it if it's just heroin or if it's a very light um, narcotic. But if it's something like fentanyl or carfentanyl, you might need multiple doses. Um, so each nostril with a spray, you can get up to two sprays per nostril. So that's four doses in total to be an effective uh, use of Narcan. So if someone goes out, um, they turn blue or purple. So that means no oxygen in the skin. If someone goes blue or purple and goes unconscious, lower them to the ground and tilt their head up to open their airway. Then you're going to check to see if they're breathing. If their chest isn't moving, they're blue or purple around their face and lips, and you feel no air coming out of their mouth, then you have to start by just pushing that Narcan. So up the nose, you're going to put the one, spray it, that's the whole dose gone in one. Then you're going to get the second one. If they don't respond within one to two minutes, you're going to give the second dose up the other nostril, and you're going to keep going until they respond. Now, after two doses, if they're not responding, you're just going to be calling 911 and starting CPR, which is just chest compressions. You don't have to give the breaths um, with CPR because that takes extra training sometimes. People get nervous. Um, so if someone's not breathing and you've tried Narcan and they're still blue and purple not breathing, then you just start doing chest compressions until the ambulance comes because that way you're going to get blood flowing around and keep from brain damage. So if you want to use the injectable Narcan, that's a lot um, quicker of a, of a, sorry, a lot uh, longer lasting. So that's going to be a, a muscle injection. So the pharmacist will teach you all that stuff. Um, but just so you know, when you use Narcan, it pushes them right into withdrawal. And there is a chance that they can come up a little bit aggressive. Um, but that's normal when they're in uh, that state. And did you talk about their recovery position? That's the next thing there. So as soon as somebody is unconscious and breathing, so even if they took too many edibles, like cannabis edibles, or they drank too much alcohol, or anything like that, if someone's unconscious, you're just going to roll them over onto their side. So um, it's best to have like a visual for this. But if you just Google recovery position and like first aid, <laughs> you'll see images of it. But you basically, you're going to put up the far leg. It's like it, the, bend their knee. And then you're just going to put their arm above their head that's closest to you and just roll them. That's it. And you're going to see pictures of that online. But if you just get them on their side, that's all you need to know. As soon as they're going unconscious and you can't wake them up, you can take your knuckles to see if someone's truly unconscious. Take your knuckles and rub it as hard as you can against their sternum. It's called the sternum rub. This is what paramedics use. If they're not waking up from you rubbing as hard as you can with your knuckles into their chest, like right in the center where that sternum is, then you could be safe. They're truly unconscious. Then if they're turning purple or blue and their chest isn't moving, that means they're not breathing and you need to do CPR or give them Narcan if it's, if it's an opiate. But if they're breathing, you just roll them on their side. That simple. 
All right. And it does look like you can't get in trouble for giving someone Narcan. The Surgeon General says on his website that you can, that everyone who thinks they might know someone who abuses opioids should have it on them and should know how to use it. Absolutely. Um, and I think everyone should take that initiative if you do know somebody um, or if you work with people. And um, I know people have a, a lot of different opinions on addiction, but what we do know now is you can forget about the addiction being a choice thing because that's not true. Brain structures do change and your ability to say no to certain drugs with strong chemical hooks goes away pretty quickly with some people. Everyone's different. Some people have more trauma in their life. Some people have a lot of protective factors like good job, loving family, blah, blah, blah. But there are people out there with a lot of risk factors too. And that can set people up. So when it comes to people saying, I don't want to carry that Narcan because it's their choice. No, it's not. Don't be silly. Do some research. It's very easy to understand how the brain works in addiction because we know now. We see it on brain scans. Um, the idea of reversing these overdoses is that you save their life so they can go on to get help. And that's the point. Also, they may not have been trying to use that substance. Maybe they took something else, or maybe they're prescribed it for surgery. There's a whole lot of factors. So um, before people pass judgment, if they feel like this is something they're not comfortable with, they can always just do some research on how the brain works in addiction. I think that's a really nice, like coming right back around to where we started about harm reduction. Harm reduction involves reducing and eliminating stigma so that yes. we can reduce harm and, and take care of each other. Yep, that's it. We want to be there for each other as human beings. We're all going in through this life together. It's a crazy, crazy ride. So yes, psychedelics and different substances help us. They help us find out why we're here. They help us feel comfortable. They help us find our meaning. So let's help each other with this experience and prevent hospital visits. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Any last words or any pro tips from your work as a paramedic and a, a psychedelic educator? Yep. Just be as knowledgeable as you can about the substances you're taking. Take a first aid course if you can. You know, it helps. Um, know when, you know, if someone stops breathing, start CPR and call 911. They're never wrong in doing that, right? And if you're ever concerned for someone's well-being and you don't feel like you're in control of it and you're afraid of their safety, just call 911. You know, it's better to have someone be seen at a hospital then uh, someone would get injured and be rushed there on a backboard. <laughs> so um, uh, keep calm, everybody. And when you're with that person having a hard time, just be their friend, you know, be a human being for them. And thank you again for having me on. Thanks, Jake. That's all today, children. Tune in next week to The Psychedologist for more Psychedelic Summer School.